Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for all of your goodness in our lives. You are a good, good Father. You are great and you are mighty and you are powerful and all of your greatness, all of your might, all of your power has been focused on us and saving us, redeeming us, healing us, strengthening us. Everything that you do is focused on us because you love us and care for us so much. You're not an absent God that we have to yell and scream and get your attention, but you have to call us to respond to the attention that you give us. Your eyes are on us this morning. You know each and every person here. You know every aspect of their life, everything that they need, everything that they will ever need, and you care for them and love them more than, than we can begin to imagine. And you've demonstrated that love for us. And that while we were yet your enemies, sinners, full of pride and arrogance, you sent your beloved, precious Son to shed His blood and die for us, to redeem ungodly men and women, that we might be made godly in your sight through Christ. And so that's the God we turn to this morning. And Father, you left us here on this earth at this particular time for such a time as this. The world looks like it's going crazy and getting darker and more and more confusing all the time. And things that we've trusted in the past are shaky and they're not there. And we have leaders that tell us all kinds of things. We don't know who to believe. We don't know where to look to except we can look to you. But you have put us here, your children, your people, for such a time as this. So we lift our eyes off of the circumstances today. We lift our eyes and our, our, take our ears away from all the noise of the world and all the voices of the world. And we set our hearts and our mind on you today to hear what you would say to us. For you are calling us to follow you somewhere. And we're here to, together to answer that call. Father, I thank you for the word that I believe you put in my heart. I thank you for what you've been doing in my life through this, and I believe with all my heart you're calling me to lead all of us in this journey, in this path to which you've called us. And now today for the grace, the wisdom, the anointing to communicate what you want to communicate the way you want it communicated, I turn to the precious Holy Spirit, and I submit to him as best I know how, my mind, my tongue, and my heart, that he may, I may speak only that which you want spoken and only as you want it spoken. And may we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what the Spirit wants to say to us, that we may receive it in full open hearts. I rebuke the spirit of fear and anything that would distract us from hearing what the Spirit of God wants to say to us today and do in our lives. And for that we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16. We're in a general series. It's a, it's a, I, do, I do series and mini-series within series. And uh, it's just kind of the way my mind works. And we're, we're in a series that comes from, from uh, what God put in my heart several years ago and has really called me to, to go, a journey to go on. And then I believe that God has called me to, to lead you, or at least get us started, in a journey. And the journey was Jesus came to His disciples when He called them, and He simply said, Come, follow me. That was that simple. We spent time looking at what that meant, to follow what it meant to follow Him, who He is that's called us, and we've looked at all those things. I'm not going to go back over them. And, then, and that's all He said in the beginning. 
He just said, come follow me. And they either came and followed him or they rejected that invitation simply on those words, come follow me, and who it was that, in, that invited them and called them to follow him. And then I explained to you last week that, that, he, th- that there came a time when he began to reveal to them more of what that meant. So when you answer the call, we don't know where we're going because he wants us to trust him, to trust him, to follow him wherever that may be. Because if we need to know where we're going before we'll follow Him, then we're not really following Him. We're following ourselves as we follow Him. And that's very important. There's a reason why He didn't tell Him that. But then there came a time when He began to tell them that. And we looked at this, this, the, the background of that was when, when Jesus had a large crowd and, and He pulled the disciples aside and He said, Who do people say that I am? And Peter said, Well, some say you're... John, John the, sometimes you're, you're, you're the, uh, uh, Elijah, the prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some say that, and Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke out and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not tell you that, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. And then Jesus goes on and says, from now on you're not, you're not, you're Peter, and on this rock, and there's a play on words there in the Greek, he's not saying on Peter I build my church, because the word Peter there is Petra, which is a small rock, and the word rock on which he builds the church is Petra, or I may have backwards, which is a large foundational stone. And what Jesus is saying, on the revelation of who I am, I will build my church. And flesh and blood will not stand against, uh, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against, isn't that encouraging? The gates of hell will not prevail against His church. I'm going to say that again because you're the church. The church isn't this building. It's you and me. The gates of hell, Jesus promised, the gates of hell shall not prevail against His church. I'm going to say that again. You've got to get this. You're the church. Somebody said, well, the devil's after me. Laugh at him because Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We've got to realize who we are, not in ourselves. And then Jesus explains what His mission is. Because remember, He's told Him to follow Him. He said, I'm heading to Jerusalem, and I'm, I'm just paraphrasing it, because I've come to die to pay for the sins of the world. And now that same Peter who's just full of, of praise and glory because God's the one that revealed to him who Jesus was. Peter says, rebuke Jesus and says, you can't go. And we saw last week that he's using human reasoning now to decide what it means to follow Jesus and what the mission is. Because Jesus is now announcing to them what his cost is to carry out his mission. And he has to rebuke Peter and, he, and he, he, he addresses it to Satan. He said, get behind me, Satan. So Satan wants to distract us from responding to follow him by looking at things in human, in human terms. And that's what Peter's doing in that case. And having said all that, so Jesus has now explained his cost. And now we're going to turn to Matthew 16. We read this last week. I'm in Mark. That won't work, although it's in Mark. Matthew 16, 24. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, remember he's invited them to follow him, they're already following him, but if anyone desires to come after me, let him, there's three things here, number one, deny himself, number two, take up his cross, and number three, follow me. Notice there's two things that come before we can fully follow him. We began to look at those last week because what we saw was in doing this we're simply following him because Jesus did these three things. Jesus denied himself. We looked at that. That's in Philippians chapter 2. We'll touch that at the very end. And then obviously he took up his cross and then he followed. So we're going we're gonna to break these down over time because to read through those quickly we can make several major mistakes. We can either read through them quickly and say, oh yeah, that's right then they haven't had that impact on you. Or we can read those words and they can scare the life out of us. I was going to say something else. Well, scare the hell out of us because that's what it needs to do. (laughs) In which case we react to it and we won't do it. So we need to understand what Jesus means by this. Because we tend to take these terms and interpret them in human understanding, which is really what Peter's just done. And the enemy worked through what was trying to work through Peter's human understanding about what Jesus was calling them to do. So we're going to begin to look today at simply what it means to deny ourselves. And I've got to say this is kind of a foundational thing. What I'm going to teach you is what, I, what God has been teaching me. There may be other explanations out there that are valid, but this is what God has been showing me, and this is what's been enabling me to begin to do it. I certainly have not mastered that. But I've read these verses for 40 years, and I, they never really were part of my life until God began to give me this understanding that I'm going to take some time and to get across to you, and to get across to all of us. And this is, we're going to, it's going to take a few weeks to get this broken down, but this is because we'll be away for several weeks. This is kind of an introduction to it. So, the way my legal mind works and the way my rational mind works is in order to look at, we're going to look at what, it, what does it mean to deny myself. So because, and if, if I were going to talk to you about uh, nuclear fission, fusion, okay, 99.9% of us would have no clue what we're talking about, so you wouldn't have to unlearn anything. Assuming you stayed awake, you would learn something new. But if we start talking about words that we have, that have meanings to us, And for everybody in here, the term deny yourself has slightly different meanings, plus you were raised up. And everything about denying myself is the opposite of what we've been raised to do. We've been raised to to us. All you got to do is hang around. I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready. If you really want to understand what what this is like, what our natural reaction is, look at two-year-olds playing together. It's all about me. They don't deny themselves at all. They want to even deny their brother or sister of the toys they're playing with. So all of our world, all of our society, all of our flesh, and all of our unrenewed mind is is just the opposite of denying myself. It's finding out who I am, asserting myself, becoming someone important. And what breaks my heart is I've heard Christians say, I need to find out who I am. Well, that's true. You need to find out who you are in Christ. And so the reason I'm saying this is everything about us, everything we've been raised in, is screaming just the opposite. We, to deny yourself is to die. So I want to start out by talking about what, I, what 
I don't believe Jesus means by denying. So we've got to learn, unlearn some things. So one of the f- first reactions people have to deny myself is it means to, to, take, to put yourself out of existence. I'm going to become a nobody. No, that's not what he means at all. He doesn't mean to, come, to cease existing. It doesn't mean to, to, to kill yourself. So it's not to cease to exist. It's not a self-death. And it's, oh, by the way, these are all in the notes you can get online. If you just go to our website, up in the right-hand corner, there, it's very hard to find. It says, Today's Notes. <laughs> it takes not much interpretation. If you click that, you'll find past notes, and you'll find Today's Notes. And they're usually posted up there on Saturday sometimes. So you can come in with them already prepared. And so, so you can preach the message for me. So it doesn't mean the eradication of your personality. God's not trying to make us zombies. No, you need to let that get in. Because many of us think, all right, if I'm going to deny myself, that means I'm not going to exist. I have no personality. I can't enjoy my life. I can't do all these things I I can't do. That's the enemy. What we're going to learn is that when you do what Jesus talks to you about, it sets you free to truly live, truly enjoy life, truly walk in the level of life that God has for you because what's keeping us back from walking in that is self. Oh, I can tell this is going over big. That's the first thing. So it does not mean to cease to exist or to eradicate your personality. Now this is very important to get this one. There is out there in the world a false denial of self. And it's a religious thing. Let me, let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Because Paul addresses this. Verse 20. There's a large, larger section here we could read, but... Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Now, he's not talking about speed limits and things like that. He's talking about rules imposed from the outside of what's going to make you holy. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So this is, for every principle of God, there's a counterfeit out there. There's something that looks similar, but what's underneath it is just the opposite. And this is a great example of that. As I go through this, I, I trust you'll understand more what I'm talking about. These things have the appearance of wisdom, and look at it, of self-imposed Religion. These things have the appearance of wisdom. So they look wise, but it's only an appearance. There's no substance to the wisdom. It's a self-imposed religion. So it's a religious principle, it's a religious attitude, religious acts that I've imposed on myself. And yet it's self-denial we're talking about. It's a false humility... Now what's out there, that's, to give you, there's a lot of Eastern mysticism. It's called aesthetics, which ba- not aesthetics, aesthetics, which means a, a, a putting down of my appetites, a putting down of, of, of denying myself, 
pleasures, denying myself certain things. And there's a certain spiritual openness that you can get by doing that. But, but when you're doing that because you've chosen to do that, to get that, that's self-imposed. Now, if you understand this, you'll understand as we go along. Because it's like, you know, I'm going to get my... It, it, it's, I'll be careful because people can misinterpret this. Lord, help me to get this across. Because I can tell some of you are struggling with this. Eastern religions, in many cases, try to reach a spirit, greater spiritual level but then by denying all our bodily... not functions, but cares. Food... You know, they'll, they'll put themselves through horrible things of self-denunciation, self-denial to bring ourselves to a greater spiritual understanding. All right? But it's, it's done by self. Okay? And there's a subtle pride that's part of that. I've got control of myself, so I am making myself deny these things. And it does. It opens us up to a spiritual discernment. But the problem is if this isn't led by God, it's opening up to the wrong spirits because there are other spirits out there. Just ask Peter when you get to heaven because Jesus within several verses commended him because he just heard from God and now he says, you just heard from Satan. And Peter couldn't tell the difference. So this is very, very subtle. But when we go through this, you'll understand the difference. Notice it's a false humility. Because false humility is really pride. I've got control of myself. Okay. It's a neglect of the body, but there's no value against the indulgence of flesh. Next verse. Was that the last one I gave you? Yep, that's the last one. So asceticism, that's a... C-A-S-C-E-T-I-C-I-S-M is a self-denial. It's a self-denial. Called a diet. (laughs) And there's diets that are legitimate to do, but if you're dieting just to make yourself feel better, for spiritual reasons, it's not going to work. Oh Lord, get me out of this. This We're going the wrong direction here. Some of you are getting it? All right. Praise the Lord. Well, let's dwell here a little bit because this is important. This is important. Eastern religions will teach you to basically deny all your pleasures, deny, you know, deny yourself all these things, and deny yourself, and you will reach another spiritual plane. And the deception is that you'll be open to spirits, all right, but you won't be able to discern the spirits. But there's a certain pride in there because you've done this yourself. Okay? Now what we're going to talk about, you can't do yourself. You can't do yourself. We talked a little bit about that last week. God has to enable you through the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can help you do what Jesus is talking about. Remember we looked at last week when Peter began to see what some of the things was Jesus was going to require? He says, well, who, then who can do it? And God, Jesus said, with man it's not possible. With God all things are possible. Okay, well, if that confused you, the next one I hope won't. <laughs> so it does not mean that you cease to exist, that you eradicate your personality. It doesn't, it's, not a, it's not a self-denial. Now listen carefully. It's also not surrender. 
And there's, there's not, there are things we need to surrender to. But we sing songs about surrendering all. But Jesus didn't tell them to surrender. Jesus told them to deny themselves. That means there's a difference. And I'm not sure I fully understand it, but I understand this much. You can surrender without denying yourself. Ask any country that's been conquered. They surrendered, but they didn't deny themselves. Oh, give, thank you, Lord. Oh, he's bailing me out. Back when we first saved, we are part of a denominational church, and there was a friend of mine, I don't remember how I got this story, but this really hit me, because he was having trouble with his son in church, and we had pews in that church. And, uh, and, and the story was this, there's a father sitting uh, in, the, in the second pew, and he's got like a five-year-old who, who stands on the pew, and the father says, no, son, sit down. And he doesn't move. And he said, son, I said, sit down. He doesn't move. So finally the father puts his hand lovingly on the back of his neck and forces him down and said, I said, sit down. And the son looks up at him and says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) He surrendered, but he didn't deny himself. And there's a legitimate surrender to the will of God but that's not enough is what I'm trying to say. You can surrender and not have done what Jesus is talking about here. You can surrender, and you'll understand this more as we get into this, and maintain an identity that's separate from Christ. The fourth thing. So the first thing is, it does not mean that you cease to exist or you get rid of your personality. It's not a false denial like a religion, Eastern religion. It's not a surrendering of yourself. And the fourth thing, it's not something you do. It's, well, I did that. Well, Jesus, I did that. Okay, I, 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 I denied myself. I did that. It's not an act that you do. It's a change of attitude on the inside of how you see yourself how you see the Lord and how we see the world around us and how it's a change of your mindset. And once you get your mindset changed, it changes what you do. But you can change what you do on the outside and never deny yourself. That's really what that religious thing was I was talking about. These will become clear as we go through it. It's not an act, but it's carried out by our actions. It's a mindset. And from this mindset we see Jesus, from this mindset we see ourselves, we see other people in the world, and we even see God our Father. And this mindset of denying yourself determines how you respond to situations when you speak. As I've shared with you, I set myself up. Let's go to, well, I don't have to quote, I'll just quote it. Uh, we referred to it last week. Philippians 2.5, Paul says to the Philippian church, Have this mind in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about how Jesus denied himself. But he calls it, have this mind in you. Have this way of looking that Jesus had as looking in. And when you look at things through the right glasses, when you look at things through the right lens, then it changes how you respond. 
And I, what I'm teaching you to do, I do every morning when I get up in my, in my quiet time with the Lord. I set my mind for that day of how I'm going to see the Lord, how I'm going to see myself, how I'm going to see my wife, my children, my grandchildren, how I'm going to see people in the church, how I'm going to see people that, that are not in the church, that aren't saved, that I may not like or I might judge when I look at them. And, and I'm, trying, I'm beginning to look at them with this mindset. And it changes my response. And again, this is a journey that we go on. Okay. Everybody okay? Yeah. It'll become clear as we go along. It really is a return to the relationship with God that we originally, He originally designed in the garden. All of these will become clear as, as we proceed. So, background. Again, this is an understanding that, God, that the Lord has given me to help me apply this, in my, this requirement in my life. And so that's, go with me Ephesians 2. So in order to understand what Jesus is requiring of us to follow Him, we have to establish a background here. And the background for this, so we're going to spend a little bit of time on this, the background for this is to go back and understand exactly what God did for you when you came to Christ, when you received Him. For every one of us in the room right now, it's, there's a different story of how you came to know Jesus. And, and we're at different places in our knowledge of Him. And for each one of you, there's a story. But somewhere along the line, Jesus came to you. You didn't come to Him. He came to you and He touched you somehow, whether it was in a message here or something on television or through a relative. However, however He was able to do it to get through to you, He did that. And you responded. And you invited Christ to come into your life. And when I did that over 40 years ago, I had no idea what I'd done. It was in my living room. And it was early, you know, late, it was like 12.30 in the morning. And I had no idea what I'd done. I just knew that someone was now living in me that wasn't there before. I just knew I had a childlike joy, a childlike peace I hadn't had even as a child. And suddenly the world looked different to me. All those lawyers I worked, look, worked with looked wonderful. <laughs> Going to work, I wanted to hug everybody I saw. I didn't, but I wanted to. Even the... I won't go there. <laughs> So, but I had no idea what I'd done. I didn't know. I didn't understand anything. I, the other thing I knew is suddenly my Bible became alive. I was reading it because I was searching for something, but I couldn't understand it. And here I am with a doctorate in law. I've been able to... I could read the Internal Revenue Code. Back then I could. And could make sense of it, but I couldn't make sense of this. Suddenly, in one moment of time, this opened up to me and now it was real and I couldn't stop putting it down. I would come home at night, have our meal, get our kids through their home or whatever, put them to bed. My wife would go to bed and I'd sit up there and start reading my Bible. Next thing I know, it's 1, 1 1.30 in the morning. I kind of put this down, but I couldn't. I was so hungry. It was alive. and That's all I knew. I didn't understand anything. Then I went to Bible school and began to get some understanding. And slowly but surely, I've been getting a deeper and deeper understanding. Or I'll have an understanding of what it says, but there's a deeper meaning beginning to grow in me of this, of what I did when I received Christ, what He did. So we're going to go back over some of those fundamentals because there's a key to it to understanding what it means to deny yourself. Okay, and it will change what those words mean to you. Ephesians 2. 
great description of what happened. We're going to go through the first ten verses. And he, and you, he made alive. Now, right, who made alive, who were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's everybody. In which you once walked according to the course or the direction of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. The spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience among whom, the sons of disobedience, we were all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. I've said this before. Some of you, some of you were, were rotten, dirty, rotten sinners. I was a good sinner. That doesn't mean I sinned well. That means I was a good person that was a sinner. You were a bad person that was a sinner, but we were both sinners. In fact, you're, it was easier for you, most likely, to see you needed Jesus because you knew you were a rotten person. <laughs> I thought I was so much better than you. I didn't, why would I need Him? I'm pretty good when I compared myself to you. I'm generalizing, of course, because I didn't know you then. But the moment I discovered God compares me to Him, I knew I was in trouble. So, we were all sons of disobedience. The Bible says there were none of us that were righteous. No, not one. Not righteous compared to Him. Verse 3, Among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of flesh and of the mind, and look at this, were by nature children of wrath, of His wrath, just as the others. The problem was our nature. We had a nature that was rebellious. It was like that five-year-old boy. We had a nature that no matter how good we thought we were, we wanted to do what we wanted our way when we wanted to do it. We wanted to be in charge of our life because it was all about us. It was our nature. And all this, the sin we committed came out of the nature that we had. So God couldn't fix us by changing the deeds we did. He had to change our nature, and that nature produces a different fruit than the old nature that we had. All right? We're by nature children of wrath just as the other. I've got to be careful with these next two words because we could spend time there, but God. Think about it. We were dead. Once you're dead, there's no hope. We were dead spiritually, to God. With no hope, it goes on and says uh, later on in chapter 2. No hope and without God in this world. But God. So if God had done nothing, all of us would be doomed to an eternity in hell, not because we were good or bad people, but because down in our hearts we were selfish. We wanted what we want and we might have talked of God, talked about God, but we were in charge of our lives, or wanted to be. But God, who is rich, oh boy, we could, oh, who, is, <laughs> who is rich in mercy. You, you need to read through these and just slowly let them soak in. But God, who is rich in mercy. There, there, there are sultans out there and sheiks and millionaires and billionaires who are so rich it's nothing compared to the riches of God. But what God is richest in is mercy. He's rich in it. Never going to run out. His mercies are new every morning. 
Because of, that word because in Greek means motivated by. Motivated by the great love with which He loved us. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive. Now this is what I want to focus on. Together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We know that. Verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. Look at this. In Christ Jesus. I knew that verse for years. Quoted that verse. Didn't need to memorize it. I'd read it for so many times. But here was the image I had. You've got God on the throne. He's the center of everything. The Bible says Jesus is sitting at His right hand. Sit at His right hand, okay? And the Bible says we're seated together with Him in heavenly places. Now, Jesus was raised somewhere around 30 A.D., okay? And I was born again somewhere in, in 1978. So between 30 A.D. and 1978, I'm going to be sitting next to Him somewhere... over here. Sorry about that, Cameron. Because obviously you've got Paul and Peter and all the disciples there, Judas isn't there, of course, and all the great saints, and somewhere seated with Him in heavenly places, I'm over, over here. And then I saw the last two words. That's not what the Bible says at all. and made us sit together, so that's all of us together, in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Here's how I began to see it based on what the Word says. God the Father sitting here on the throne. Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and I am seated in the same place because I am in Him. So when the Father talks to me, He doesn't have to look out here. Hey, John! He just turns to His right because I am seated next to the Father because I'm in Christ Jesus. Let's keep going. That in the age, oh, we could spend so much. In the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us. Stop there. God's waiting in the ages to come because he wants to show off not his power, not his glory, not his majesty. What God wants to show off to all of the angels, to all the principalities of power, what God wants to show off is the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us. God can't wait to show off His kindness towards you and me. 
See, we have this image, well, yeah, before God, you know, I got blemishes, and I'm not as faithful as so-and-so, and I'm not as good as this person. I know I'm going to be in heaven, but, you know, I'm not, I'm just not going to, you know, I don't know where I'm going to be, you know, I don't know how it's going to work, and, oh, you know, no, God's going to show the exceeding, your trophies of His grace. We're flawed, we're weak, we've made mistakes, we've made some good judgments, some bad judgments, but God's not putting you in heaven to show off how good you were. He's got us in heaven to show how good He is. And you and I are trophies of His grace, of His goodness, of His love. But the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us because we are in Christ Jesus. Everything we are and everything we have as Christians is solely because we are in Christ Jesus. This is so important to understand because of where we're going to go. Verse 10. Well, keep going down. Verse 8. No, take verse 10. I'm sorry. I'm confusing them. Go ahead. Yeah. We are His workmanship. We are His workmanship. And how are we created? In Christ Jesus. There it is again. Three or four times. It's through Him. In Him. For good works. So many of us are out there trying to do good works, but not in Him. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God the Father prepared before Him that we should walk in them. All right, let's look at a couple other verses. 2 Corinthians 5.17. And maybe you'll hear a theme in this. If any man be in Christ, not with Him, not near Him, not in the kingdom of God, but if any man... If, if who? Any man. Look at the person to your right. That includes them. Look at the person to your left. That includes them. Any man. It includes you. If any man, woman of course, if any man be in Christ, that's the key. He is a new creation. That word new creation in the Greek means a new species of being that never existed before. Amen. Glory be to God. That's why when you came to Christ you weren't cleaned up. You died. The old you died and God birthed in you a new life, a new nature that's His own nature. We don't have time to go into all that. But it's, it's because you're in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Of course, you're now in Christ. Verse 21. For He made Him who knew no sin. That's Jesus. So Jesus walked on this earth. He came to earth as the second person of God. And obviously He didn't sit in heaven. He came to this earth, He took on human flesh, which now made Him susceptible to sin. Because Hebrews 4 tells Him, tells us He was tempted in all ways, in all ways as we are, yet He did not sin. 
Where we failed, He succeeded. Where Adam failed, He succeeded. He was tempted those same ways you are, but He overcame the temptations. By the way, He overcame them with the Word. So when He hung on that cross, He hung on that cross as a sinless man. And on that cross, God took the sin of the world and God placed that sin on His sinless Son on that cross and because God is a righteous God that sin had to be judged. God poured out His wrath and His anger for that sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. God poured it out on His sinless Son who was now made to be sin. Poured the fullness of it, wrath and anger out on that sin and judged your sin and my sin in his son on that cross and paid the price. Wow. Romans says that's why, how he can still be just and the justifier of those. Yes. So he can remain just and righteous because he didn't just look the way other way at sin, he, he demanded the righteous requirement of the law was that. that Somebody that sins dies. So the righteous requirement of the law is any sin requires death. So if God just looked the other way because He loved us, He would have given up His righteousness. He would no longer be a just and righteous God. So God has a dilemma. How can I include them with them, with me when they're so unrighteous and so sinful and I am so holy? How can I do I know what I'll do. I'll send my sinless son and I'll put their sin on him and I'll pour the punishment for that sin out on my son so that I can give them my righteousness and receive them. The Bible says that the only, only his kind of love would think of that answer. Only, only the, a level of love that, is, that we, it's hard for us to grasp. The devil couldn't figure it out. The Bible says that's how he was trapped. You know he was trapped? Because the devil thought, because when Jesus died in sin, it wasn't his, but he died in sin, the Bible tells us he went to hell. Some people don't like that, they get mad at it, but it's what the Bible says. <laughs> and he spent time in the belly of this world, in the place of sin and death. And I, we can only imagine what's going on down there. Satan was celebrating. Because you would understand, it wasn't for the 33 years he had on this earth. Satan's been after him from the beginning of the, before the beginning of the earth. The Bible tells us he had his ambition for, to take his place in the throne room. And now he's got him! And he's got him legally here because he died with sin. But when the price was fully paid, when the price was fully paid, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of life came into the place of death and breathed resurrection life into that dead spirit and he became alive in the place of death. And you can only imagine Satan screaming, it's my, it's just, this is me, screaming, yelling and claiming, this, no, you can't do this. He's legally here. He died in sin. And Jesus turns and says, yes, I did. But none of that sin was mine. So here's, here's what he did. He said, therefore, the Bible says he reached over and took the keys of death, of hell, and of the grave. And he says, and I'm leaving here. I'm coming back from the dead, but I'm leaving their sin here. 
He made him to knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become, we talked about this a few weeks ago. See, God couldn't do the second part of this if he hadn't paid for the sin. Then he'd just be looking the other way. That we might become, that we might become not righteous. Not what it says. That we might become the righteousness of God. God did this. This is called the great exchange. You had us over here, and boy, did we know sin. We knew sin because it was our nature. You had the Son of God over here now in flesh and He never sinned. So this verse says that God took our sin off of us, put it over, and He attributed it to His sinless Son. He goes to the cross, He pays the punishment for that sin. Now God can legally take his righteousness and bring it over and put it on us. But he doesn't... Now here's where that's... Here's where, here's where we thought about it. We thought he took his righteousness and brought it over and put it on us. That's not what happened. Because I've taught it that way before. Here's what he did. He paid the price for our sin was raised from the dead. Then whenever it is you came to Christ, you left where you were and you were joined him. So listen carefully. This is so important. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to say it over and over again so it gets into our mind. If you're in Christ, then whatever He is, you are by definition because you're one with Him. If you're one with Him, whatever He is, you are. That's got to sink in. If you're in Christ, those are not just casual words. I'm showing you it's over and over and over and over and over in the Bible. But there are such two simple words that we just kind of throw them in at the end of a verse. In Him, in Him. No, it's monumental. You're in Christ. You're in the second person of the Godhead. You're in the righteous Son of God. You are the one who has the voice and access to the Father anytime, any part of the day. And the Father's heart is reaching out to answer His prayers. And you're part of Him. You're in Him. You're one with Him. Whatever He is, you are. So you're as righteous as He is because you're part of Him. I've used the example before. It's the best one I can think. I'd use marriage because of what God designs, but people don't live this way. They don't live as if they're one. Married couples, in most cases. So you're standing by the edge of the pool and you're totally dry. The pool has water in it, hopefully. And one of the qualities of that wa- water is wet. So it's not surprising to you if you jump in the pool that you're going to become wet. And if you get totally submerged in the water, you will be as wet as the water is wet. Because you're in the water, 
And one of the qualities of water is wet. Basic stuff. When you come to be in Christ, you are as righteous as He is because it's His righteousness that you're in. Some of you are going, ah, it'll sink in. Because we're so used to seeing ourselves separate from Him. And I'll give you a clue. Denying yourself means learning to not see yourself as separate from Him. That's it. And Satan's effort is to work hard to get you to see yourself as a Christian separate from Christ because then you're struggling to get places you already are. So if you're in Christ, wherever He is, you are. Wherever He goes, you go. And wherever you go, He goes. Maybe some of you are going places you don't want to take Him. Whatever you look at, He looks at. Whatever you listen to, He listens to, because you're in Him, and we're going to see He's in you. Got to move on. John 17. Now, I assume you believe Jesus' prayers are answered. He did. He said in John 11, Father, I know you always hear me when I cry. John 17. We call our Father who art in heaven the Lord's Prayer. And it is in a sense, but it's what He taught them to pray. This chapter, He's praying. This is Jesus at the end of His life, about to go to the cross, talking directly to His Father. And there are three sections of it. The first section is Jesus talking to the Father about Himself. The second section, Jesus talking to His Father about the disciples that followed Him. The third section, section which is, starts with the verse we're going to start with, Jesus is talking to them. I'll show you. John seventeen twenty. I do not pray for these alone, that refers back to the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's this Bible. So that's us. We believed in Jesus through the words of these disciples, one way or another. So he's praying this prayer we're about to read for us. What is it? That they may all be one. Now you can see why Satan tries to divide us that they may all be one as you, Father, and I are, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. Look at this. I in them, and you in in me that they may be made perfect or complete in one that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you loved me. I mean that right there. They, that you love them. That God loves you and me as much as He loves Jesus. Why wouldn't He? We're in Him. So Jesus' prayer is that we would come to realize that we are in Him and He is in us. 
That's what the Holy Spirit's presence is. He is the Spirit of Christ living in you. So we are one with Christ. Now think about it. Because what I said is whatever, whatever He is, you are. Isn't that what 1 John 4 says? As He is, 1 John 4, 17. As He is, so are we in this world. Later He says, he says, and behold the love of God, the, God, the whole matter of love the Father. We should become children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we see Him, we shall be like Him. So when, when Jesus appears, you're going to look at Him and look at yourselves. Woo! Wow! This is in the Spirit. Of course, we're one with Him. It's a mindset. So whatever He is, you are. Whatever He can do, in Him you can too. Doesn't Paul say, I can do all things because I'm such a great apostle and so smart? No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He doesn't strengthen you and He's over here and you're over here, and He gets some strength over to you, He strengthens you because you're in Him. We draw our strength from Him, and we don't have to go far to get it, because you're in Him. It's His strength you draw on. It's a whole new way of thinking. It's this mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. So we are what He is. We can do what He can do. We have the same access to the Father, because we're in Him. It's changed my prayer life. When I come to the Father, I'm coming, Father, I'm coming to you in Christ. Whatever you would do for Him, you'll do for me. When Jesus said, I give you my name, whatever you ask in my name, it's His name because it's Christ in me. So it changed how I pray for people. It's not John saying, oh Lord, oh Lord, please heal them. It's Christ in me is now speaking healing into their body. I got much more confidence in that than my asking God to do something. Now, having said that, we are not just with Him, and He is not just with us. We are in Him, and He is in us. I'm telling you, the difference is, 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 is amazing. Now, Satan's entire goal, his whole purpose, is to get you to see yourself separate from Christ. Because then we look at Him, we deal with Satan, we deal with the issues of life by our own, our own value, our own strength, our own nature. And none of us can stand on our own. Because Satan knows your history. He knows the mistakes you made. And he'll remind you of them. This is why you won't have, we don't have confidence to do things, to go out for the Lord, to do His work, because we're looking at ourselves and what we can do. And we're looking at one another and what each we know about each other. But we're in Christ. It started in the garden. The very thing that he did in the garden was to get them to see themselves separate from God the Father. So this is a foundation for where we're going. It's, an, it's a mindset. That's what I said earlier. It's from this understanding 
that we're going to begin to study what Jesus meant by telling them to deny themselves. What he meant by denying themselves was to deny their right to live their life as if they're separate from him. And we'll begin to walk out how that applies in your life. Let's pray. Father, we believe that you've called us to go on a journey together, and that journey is simply to answer the call that Jesus has given to us to follow him. We see now that there are conditions, that there's steps we have to go through. And that we learned last week, Father, that, that whatever you require of us is for our benefit, is to free us, is to bless us, is to, is to help us. That you're not angry, you're not trying to punish us. You poured your anger out 2,000 years ago on that cross. You're not angry at us. You love us. And Father, as we begin this journey and begin this step of this journey together, help us to understand with our heart and with our mind what it is you're asking of us so that we may respond with the fullness of our heart. I thank you, Father, for these precious people that you've called us together to go on this journey together. Father, there may be some that are struggling with this right now. Help them to see what this is and that there's nothing to be afraid of. Some of them are ready to run and go. Help them, Lord, to follow this at the right pace. And Father, help us all to hear and to answer your call. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. In a moment, we're going to be receiving the offering that I mentioned earlier. Um, and, and, and Chris mentioned earlier. But before we do that, we never like to end a service without...